Hey guys, it's Dr. Boca from Unpolished Therapy. I can't wait for you to hear our interview with Kat, who is a holistic healer and a spiritual coach. And most amazingly, she is an expert on touch starvation. I know, I didn't even know what that was. So definitely listen. And hopefully we're going to ask and answer all the questions on what is touch starvation and do we have it? And do we need treatment for it? And what's going to be the outcome of this? So stay tuned to our episode of Unpolished Therapy. What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen. So you know what that means. We are ditching the couch. We're grabbing the mics and we are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of Audacity and Advice. Good morning, Dr. Boga. Good morning, Rach. How you doing? I am doing well. I'm happy to see. I know our listeners can't see, but we're on Zoom, so I can see your smiling face, but I'm always happy to hear your eloquent, beautiful voice, and I'm excited. I need a little bit of my Dr. Boca today. What do you got? Well, I have a little bit of a treat for you. I got stopped in my tracks when I came across this woman who we are so blessed to have with us today. Her name is Kat, and Kat is a holistic healer and a Reiki master, but she's a spiritual coach as well. And most impressively, and this is what I didn't know anything about, is she's an expert on touch starvation. She is passionate about exploring often overlooked links between things like touch, our nervous system, and our overall health. And she uses an integrative approach that incorporates love and compassion and guides her clients to unlock their healing potential and really find their harmony within themselves, which I assume will then lead to better, more meaningful, more connected relationships with others. So I was so blown away by this touch starvation that I reached out to Kat and Kat is here with us today. And so to our listeners, we welcome Kat. Hello. Hello, ladies. Thank this you is- so much for having me on your show today. Oh, thank you. I have so many questions. I mean, Rachel, we didn't even discuss this. Do you know what touch starvation even means before we ask Kat what this is? Well, other than the fact that I am definitely starving for touch, <laughs> uh, I I don't know what it means from a textbook perspective, but I'm definitely excited to find that out. So I'm going to follow your lead on this, Dr. Boga. Thank you for finding someone to chat with us today. A little bit of this seems very on the unpolished track, so I totally. love that. But you know that I love learning new things and engaging with people who can shed some light on areas that are definitely maybe ones that people are like shy away from or they're nervous about or I don't know what. But yeah, so I'm going to be quiet right now. Uh, oh my gosh, that in and of itself is a miracle right there. Just, you know, just having fun. So Kat, I have a billion questions. And one of the things that Rachel always says is that if she doesn't know something or she's thinking something, then it's definitely something that our listeners are probably thinking or questioning or not knowing. And so I know personally what a Reiki master is, and I kind of know what people define as spiritual coach, but what on earth is an expert on touch starvation and why have I never heard this before? That's a very good question, Dr. Boca. 
So touch starvation is when a person experiences very little or no contact with a living thing, or when a person suddenly experiences a severe decrease in the amount of touch or contact that they experience with a living thing, such as um, if they experience a death, a move, loss of a relationship, sickness, if they're isolated in a hospital, situations like that. And why are people not talking about this? I have no idea. (laughs) This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because as I started researching touch starvation, I realized there wasn't any books. There wasn't any information out there about it or very little. Wow. Okay. So at least I know I'm not totally, you know, in the dark and have never heard about this. And as a psychologist, I think I'm, I kind of know a little bit about things like trauma and starvation and emotional disconnection and things like that. But in my lifetime, I have not heard this term of touch starvation. So I, I have to ask you the obvious question before I kind of understand this in the clinical world and how you use it and who it's for. How the hell did you find yourself in this job as an expert in touch starvation if nobody even knows it exists? Again, very good question. So until about a year and a half ago, I myself didn't know what it was. Oh, wow. Um, yes, I found myself in a relationship, a long-term relationship. And after the initial eight months of the honeymoon phase, where the intimacy and the touch, the touch was great, I found when our hormones relaxed, I found there to be a huge decrease in the amount of affection that we had in our relationship. And even though we were still intimate, um, sexual intimacy does not equal touch. So you can still have touch starvation while you're being sexually active. And so I found myself craving for something and feeling like I was missing something. I started to put on weight. I felt very lonely, very isolated. Um, I tried explaining to my partner what I was feeling, but I couldn't really voice it because I didn't know where it was coming from, especially because we were still being intimate. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't creating more sex. So that's where the confusion came in. And because my love language is touch, mm. um, I think it was the weekend that we actually ended our relationship that I started putting my symptoms into Google. God bless Google. God bless Google. And that is what I came up with. And I looked at this definition and I looked at all the symptoms and I literally had every single symptom. And then I looked at our relationship and noticed that, yeah, there had been a huge decrease in the amount of affection that we were experiencing together and just the amount of touch and the hugs and holding hands and sleeping next to each other, even little things like that. And I realized that's what it was. And because I do therapeutic massage in my healing center, after like months of research, I said, you know what, maybe there's people out there who are experiencing the same thing. In fact, I was convinced that they were. So I invented a massage that used three different types of touch. And one of the last types of touches was a a very slow and gentle kind of touch with your fingertips that stimulates and wakes up the vagus nerve. Mm. body releases the oxytocin and makes us feel safe, makes us feel loved, makes us feel cared for. And so I added all of this into a massage and I just posted an ad that's, hey, that said, hey, do you have touch starvation? And I listed all these symptoms and I said, I created a massage that can help you heal from this. And yeah, that's when the doors blew open. Wow. So I have a couple, well, I mean, I always have more than just a couple questions, but I want to back up for one moment because First of all, I'm fascinated and I definitely want to hear the nitty gritty on what this massage is and then what it yields as a result of it. But I did a little bit of backstory research when Dr. Boca gave me 
the cliff note versions on having you on as a guest. And I went to your website and I, I saw that, you know, you yourself had a spiritual journey of your own. You were diagnosed with thyroid cancer many years ago. You say on your website that it forced you, of course, to ask yourself some of these hard questions. And I respect that so much. What stuck out to me is that you also wrote that you had stage four hypertension, depression, anxiety, unresolved grief, and childhood trauma. And what was so profound about that statement to me was I've never heard something like that that is intangible necessarily put into a potential stage, if you will. So can you explain that a little bit too? Because I know, and Dr. Boca and I have talked about this a lot, that when it comes to mental health, there's such gray area with that because no one, for whatever the reasons are, it's almost like that taboo dark cloud is on mental health because it isn't a cancer per se, mm-hmm. right? It it isn't something that you go to the doctor and and they cut it out of your body necessarily. You, you you follow me on this. So when I read stage four depression anxiety, I had never heard it that way. Can you speak to that a little bit before we get into the actual massage piece of this? So specifically, the stage four hypertension, I believe, is when your blood pressure is over one eighty. Mm. Okay. Mine was 220 over 150 wow. at the age of 33. And I didn't even know this until the day that they did my thyroid surgery and they had a hard time controlling my, my blood pressure. And they actually woke me up and said, why didn't you tell us you had a heart condition? And I said, I don't have a heart condition. Wow. Yeah. And I went years because I'd already had my three kids. I went years with being told during my pregnancy and like at a random checkup that I must have white coat syndrome, which means that your blood pressure is fine. Mm -hmm. But when someone checks it, you become anxious and it it goes up. Right. So and I've worked at a hospital myself for 10 years. So this is what my friends that were doctors and nurses had told me. So in a way, wouldn't you say then, and I'm I'm no doctor, even though, of course, we joke that I play one on TV or on this podcast, at least, that it probably was a blessing, not so much in disguise, that you were even diagnosed with thyroid cancer to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. It saved my life. I will say to this day that having cancer saved my life. That's amazing. Yeah. And you hear about that often. A lot of people, often. you know, get diagnosed with something and something else comes out of it. Yeah. And that's what would have killed them to begin with. So thank exactly. goodness for that. So the hypertension, you know, might have played a role with the thyroid, might not have played a role with the thyroid, it might have played a role with this deprivation. But you keep saying the symptoms of the starvation, right? What you named a few, but are there other symptoms that our listeners could be like, yes, I meet the checklist of touch starvation and oh my God, now my ears are totally perked and I have to listen to what Kat is saying? Yes. Um, some of the common symptoms of touch starvation are sleep disorders, fatigue, sexual dysfunction, body image issues, loneliness, fear of attachment, anxiety, high stress, and in men, it actually causes aggressive behavior. Wow. I want, wow. let's pause for a minute and kind of just sort of let that sink in because it's a lot to swallow, right? But yes. I think too, for me, I guess I'm going back to what you said initially that you could be sexually active and the layman would think, oh, well, I'm being touched literally. So there you go. How could I be starved if I have a partner that I'm intimate with? 
But intimacy does not equate getting your needs satiated, I suppose, in in so many other aspects. And maybe you want to talk about, I don't know, is, is that an age thing? Because I, I would wonder when, when you're young and your hormones are raging and you don't even really know what real quote unquote intimacy is because you just assume that it's just the act of sex, right? That I yeah. wonder as you get older, is it harder and harder to have real touch like what would the opposite of touch starvation be? Touch satiation or or satisfaction or satisfaction or you're in the deep end with touch. What would the opposite of that be? Whatever Overload. you just said, yeah, that sounds good. It's to have adequate touch, and it's the right type of touch. So how sad is it in a way then that again we always joke too that like youth is wasted on the young, right? Or when we're when we're young, we think A, B, and C equals X, Y, and Z. And now here we are, I guess maybe for most of us or to the listening audience, you know, we're, we're on the back nine, so to speak. We're just finding that out now that we're missing out on so much if we're not connected with whatever that those integral parts of our being are to maximize, I guess is the right word, being satisfied from touch more than just the act of sex, correct? Correct. And the way I look at that is, especially in my 20s and 30s, I was living in constant flight or fight. Mm -hmm. And that also explains why I had the high blood pressure, the anxiety, but I didn't realize any of that. And in fact, if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, are you happy? Are you stressed? I would have been, yeah, like, I'm fine. Because my baseline was to be in flight or fight. Yep. And so that also affects the quality of intimate relationships that you have. And when you're having intimacy and you're having intercourse, but you're in flight or fight, it's a whole different vibe. And it doesn't release the amount of oxytocin that you need. It does not make your body feel safe. It does not relax your nervous system. In fact, it keeps it in flight or fight. And that feels exciting. Before Dr. Boca jumps in, because I know she has a question, can either Dr. Boca, you or Kat, can you explain to me and the audience, remind me again, what fight or flight mode even means? Well, so my understanding, and and I was kind of going in this direction, like this is a trauma response on some level, right? And fight or flight is that your nervous system is constantly in a state of panic and hyper focus and hyper vigilance is really the word I was looking for. And so in doing that, that manifests itself as a protective way. However, because your nervous system is constantly activated, it's taking a toll. You're secreting an exponential amount of cortisol. And that cortisol leads to things like adrenal failure, depression, a chronic state of anxiety, sexual dysfunction, and it leads to gut issues and sleep issues and all of these symptoms that we're talking about. Am I correct in the way that I would yes. describe that, Kat? Right. Yes, so, absolutely. So I was going to say before Rachel had asked the question, I was like, a lot of this seems like it is an extension of a trauma a trauma response, you know, it, it, it ties into when we had when we had Jessica on many, many, many months ago on attachment, right? And attachment theory. And that when we have certain traumas in our life, it affects our attachment styles. And a lot of times we wind up in relationships that 
we have to protect ourselves. So whether that's we're in fight or flight and therefore we don't want that intimacy, we can't create that connection with somebody, or we gobble onto them because that's what we need in order to feel satisfied and fulfilled. It's like two sides of the same coin, but it all seems to stem from some trauma that we've had on some level earlier on. And then it manifests, it looks like in one way, as a starvation of touch. Am I on the same path in the same galaxy? Yes. However, for me, um, living in a high um, in flight or fight was due to trauma as a child growing up in an unpredictable home with an alcoholic mm-hmm. father. So I seeked out relationships and workplaces, work environments where I was constantly in high stress. Sure. Um, And this relationship happened after I'd already calmed down my nervous system, which is why I think I was able to recognize the fact that I had touched starvation because had that happened 10 years ago, it would have just kind of melted in with the other symptoms of anxiety Mm -hmm. um, and stress that I was already having and experiencing. Um, But because I'd already cured my stage four hypertension and was off all the medication, didn't need to see a doctor about it, and I'd learned how to calm down my nervous system. I think that's why I was able to notice the touch starvation. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is so true for so many of us because we're in that constant state of agitation and fight or flight or anxiety to our lately, mm-hmm. you know, our lay listeners or depression, it becomes our norm. And we it's our baseline. It's our baseline, exactly. And so what happens is we don't even notice all the layers that are involved in this and we create a world from that perspective that meets our needs in that safety of the constant baseline, right? Even though it's not safe, it's not productive, it doesn't really work for us, it feels familiar enough and we know how to survive in it. Yes, we seek out situations where we get to thrive in that world. So I worked in the emergency department where it was constantly stress. And then I actually had a six-month part-time job at a doctor's office, which I found so boring that I was falling asleep at the desk and I had to quit because I loved the cortisol and I loved the adrenaline and I was addicted to that type of life. Mm-hmm. So I, I seeked out situations and environments where I would stay in that zone because everything just, else was felt boring to me. I have to just tell you though, and I, I mean that my anxiety is increasing as we're having the conversation because part of me is like all of these signs, symptoms, scenarios, flight, flight, it, Part of me is like, well, isn't this just life as an adult? Like as we get older, we have more and more pressure on our plate, uh, unpolished pressure too, to boot, that when you just said this becomes our norm, right? That elevated my anxiety about this topic because when we started this conversation, I was joking saying, oh yeah, I'm starving for touch because I'm such a literal person, right? But now I'm sitting here digging into my own unpolished process and I'm like, oh my God, another fucking thing to add to the list of problems I have because forget the literal side of things. Now I'm I'm trying to peel back that onion as Dr. Boken and I say a lot and, I'll, and I really like now want to dive in a little bit because oh my God, this is another something that we're going to have to talk about here. So what if we did this for the sake of getting the icing on the cake first? Let's go to the success of this and work our way backwards, right? What does the process look like, feel like, sound like? And then 
spit out, no pun intended, right? When we are satiated with this touch therapy that you do so well. And would you like to know about healing the self? Like I have healed my own touch starvation, or would you like to know about the process with my clients? I think I want both. Both. <laughs> right? Yeah, I okay. mean, we're, we don't want to blow the wad that quickly here. You know, <laughs> we want our listeners to stay engaged, but I want to see the apex, right? I want to see the promised land. I want the to climax, the, the climax. climax. Thank you, Let's Dr. Get to the climax. Right? But I don't want to blow the wide so quickly, right? I want to enjoy the process, right? Oh, goodness. We're going we'll off the rails. We'll take it nice and slow, ladies. Okay. <laughs> there yes, you go. Nice Make it pleasurable. Slow. Right. Okay. So I would love to know, just to kind of steer it, is if I yes. were coming in there and I've identified myself with all of these symptomology, and I guess the first question is, is it mostly men? Is it mostly women? Is it equal? And then what would I do when I call Kat on the phone and be like, hello, I don't know what this actually is, but I have every symptom. What am I going to experience coming into your office? Okay. So I will start by saying that out of the almost 40 clients that I have with touch starvation, 40 of them are men. I knew that was going to be the case. I know, but I like it. I'm blown away by that. You need to say that again because I bet our listeners probably thought there was like an editing mistake. And when you said men, like we, th- there was a sound thing on woman because <laughs> I am shocked that I, am they, I mean, with are all you? due respect to the men out there, we can't even get a man to come on our podcast to share how they feel about, you know, anything because they're afraid or too shy or so. How did that happen? And I'm incredibly impressed, by the way. As was I. So I posted this ad and then I was, and I am bombarded with messages weekly. And some of them are long. Some of them are like, I read your post about touch starvation and I have every single symptom. I have been out of a relationship for 20 years. I haven't held a woman in 20 years. I haven't had any kind of physical contact. I'm, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years. I have a client that comes for actually cuddle therapy that is over 60 60 years old and has never been in a relationship. Are you the person that they're cuddling with? So yes. So I do cuddle therapy in as part of the touch starvation regimen, but some clients just come for the massage, some come for the cuddle therapy, and some do both. So touch starvation therapy involves that massage of the three different types of massage. Is there dialogue? Are we talking or is it like therapy while you're massaging? Is- and Kat, I love you and I, I so respect this whole thing. But I'm laughing now thinking like, oh, of course it's 40 men who haven't been touched in a million years. Like, do they think they're getting a happy ending? And, and I was going to say like, the same thing. I'm so glad I mean, you said it. I'm like, of now course. Now it makes sense. That's why I wasn't surprised. I'm like, this is prostitution. That's legal, right? right. Even though it's right. not and I'm not diminishing what you do, right, Kat. Right, but right. in their mind, that's why I want to know what does this entail? Because my guess is you are not having sex with them. We're doing touch because you made a differentiation between the sex and touch. And so what I didn't know is, is this talk along with the massage or is this just the massage part of it, those three different types of massage that you do? So I will also say that for every inquiry about the touch starvation massage from a client that actually ends up coming, I have about 10 that are looking for something else. Ah. And those could eat, those get weeded out very quickly. And I actually do it in a very nice way because I know that 
what they're actually looking for is connection. Mm-hmm. But because men equate intimacy, love, and connection with, with sex, sex. And they think that, that they're just trying to get off. That's what mm-hmm. they think they're looking for. So when they come in, they fill out a questionnaire and we have about a 15 to 30 minute discussion where we talk about their situation, why they think they have touched starvation. And I explain the massage to them. And then we talk about um, possible erections during the massage. If you haven't been touched by a woman in 20 years, and obviously this is something that could happen, it could happen at any point during a massage. So we talk about that and I don't talk during the massage. And usually it's 90 minutes. And I would say that like 90% of the men have cried at the end of it. And we're talking like big men. We're talking bikers. We're talking men that have never had any type of energy healing, that don't believe in energy healing, because they're also getting that at the same time. Mm -hmm. They're getting the energy healing from me during the massage as well. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Yep. I love that you said right away, you're able to weed out the cans and the can nots, right? Yeah. Of the men, though, that actually stick with you, and now they see like you're not going to, you know, blow them at the end of the the session, and they're coming back for more. Would you say that those men initially did equate intimacy with strictly sex, and now they're quote unquote like rehabilitated to see that there's so much more? And then part two of that question is if in fact they are rehabilitated to see that there's a big, broad world out there relative to what intimacy really means, where does then sex stack on their list of what's important when they then do get into a relationship? And I'm wondering then if part of the light at the end of the tunnel is that because of the work you do with them, they are now open to finding relationships successfully. You are absolutely right in what you said. Um, And I find that sex goes down on their list of needs. Mm -hmm. And they realize that what they're looking for is safety Mm -hmm. and connection and to feel loved. Because a lot of men's bodies are numb. And I think a lot of them feel that sex and intimacy and any kind of connection, they, they only have to perform. You know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, okay, so we get that there's trauma, but, you know, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago on the Barbie movie, okay? Mm -hmm. And I had a very strong reaction about the fact that the men's issues were not really, we, we don't really talk about these things in society, right? Like the expectations that are placed on them, how they get the messaging that sex equates with intimacy and their fear of vulnerability and the inadequacies that they carry around with them and that, you know, expressing emotion or asking for what they need can be perceived as, you know, aggressive or it could be seen Mm -hmm. as sexual, yeah, right, or sexual harassment or whatever in this day and age, you know, the Me Too movement. And and they don't, I mean, I have a whole caseload of men who don't know how to make friends at the age of 40. And so, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be touch of a female. You said it could be any living thing. It could be a cat, a dog. It could be, you know, a guy friend where you give like a high five, right? But so socially for the men to express this, you know, and this is why Rachel was saying, you know, we can't get these men on this podcast, yet we're getting text messages from all of these men saying, gosh, I wish I could talk about these things. I wish I could share these things. I have nobody in my life to do this. 
can I come on the podcast? Maybe ish, but I want to hide my identity, right? We get all of that. I see it in my practice one-on-one. I have been blessed to run a men's group in my life. So I have the opportunity to get some of this, but what are you seeing? Because I do believe that this is not all because somebody had been violated as a child Mm -hmm. or because they grew up in a chaotic household. I do believe that there's messaging and expectations placed on these men where they are the 40 that are coming into your office versus all the women out there. Yes, this has really opened my eyes um, to a lot of uh, men's mental health issues and just how isolated, lonely, unseen, unheard they feel in a society that's all about women and children first Mm -hmm. and men last. Meanwhile, I consider men to be the backbone of our society. And I even had a client who he comes in for massage, not for the touch starvation, who has three children and a wife that is uh, sick right now. So he's also a caretaker. He's got the full-time job. He's got everything. And he does not do anything for himself. He does not talk about his feelings. He does not seek out help, support. And he says, you know, I'm last on the list in my home. And I say, there's four lives Mm -hmm. depending on you. You are providing and feeding for human beings. And how come you see yourself all the way at the bottom, right? And I feel like that's how a lot of men see themselves. Um, And they have no one to talk to. And, you know, wanting to be held, wanting to connect sometimes is seen as weakness in our society. Um, And even like hugging friends, and especially since COVID, everyone's doing fist bumps, and there's so much less hugging with neighbors, with coworkers. There's so much less I guess, physical contact in our society since COVID. So that's even made things a lot worse. And with social media, you don't have to actually interact with anybody. It's crazy. And I see it all the time. Of your clients, Kat, do you see consistencies in the type of man that's coming in? Is this isolated to white collar, blue collar? Is it anyone specific or are you seeing across the board? Is there a cultural niche or not at all? Not at all. Touch starvation does not discriminate. I have clients between the ages of 26 to widows, widowers that are 70 years old, men who are single that had their, who are divorced, men who are married, but in relationships where there hasn't been any intimacy in over 10 years. And, when- and, and so where do they go? When they come to you, is it, are they coming to you admitting feelings of defeat or shame? Or are they coming to you saying, thank God, because I've been looking for something like this and I didn't know you existed? Sometimes they come in and they sit down and the tears flow and they say, I've never heard a woman that is aware of how a man and how lonely a man could feel. And they open up right about right away about how long they've been alone, why they think they have touch starvation, what their blockages are to having relationships or intimacy, and they're very open. But sometimes they come in and they say, I'm just curious. And I'll ask them questions and they kind of get some information and they're just and they just say, I'm just curious. I don't I don't think I have that. And a lot of the times if they are suffering from erectile dysfunction, they will also not tell me that because they are ashamed. But I always check in with them the next day. And I have found that a lot of the times before I even have the opportunity to to check in with them, I will get a message that says, I don't know what you did, but I had the best sleep and I woke up with an erection. Mm. 
And I am so grateful. So as a, a Reiki master, right, who moves yes. energy, right? One can say, okay, well, you're doing Reiki at the same time. So is it an yes. energy clearing? Or is it that it's the actual touch that is so satisfying to them and is filling such a need for them? Mm -hmm. You know, which could you do touch starvation therapy? Could you do that not being a Reiki master also and get the exact same results? Do you think? I mean, obviously, you don't know because you are a Reiki master also, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So I know you would still get great results, but I think it's because I am removing some of the blockages around their sacral area and some of the shame and some of those negative feelings and traumas that they're holding in that area from having ED. And sometimes, you know, it's been like a long time. So that and putting their nervous system in their relaxed state, which allows for digestion and arousal. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they don't realize that that nervous system has such a huge impact on their ability to have an erection. And they get into a place in their head when just the thought of intimacy, the thought of having to perform causes so much anxiety and gets them into flight or fight instantly. And that is the thing that prevents an erection. Mm -hmm. So because they're coming here and I have no expectation, there is nothing here for them and they don't even think about it. And it just happens naturally. And I I think it's extra successful because I use the energy and the physical touch and the oxytocin and I calm down their nervous system. I would think, again, here comes my completely non-medical training opinion on this, but I'm going to say that the Reiki piece is huge because you said that there are some patients or clients or however you define your practice where they are married or they are still intimate, but it's not panning out. So they've been touched, but nothing's really working. So if you're clearing that energy and then all of a sudden the clouds part and the sun's out and, and, you know, everyone's thrilled again, it's got to be part and parcel with the Reiki also. Yes. I think it's both. So, okay. So are I, they I, naked? Like, I mean, well, they're getting massage. Well, they're getting yeah, but they're they're covered only except for the part that I'm currently working okay. on. So their body, yeah, it's a draped massage. Yeah, you're okay. getting a massage, Rach. Like, come on. Oh, no, I don't know. Sometimes with Reiki, though, no, I've had Reiki masters where you're just actually sitting in a but chair. Are you, and but are you getting you know, a massage? Yeah, and there's no touch. So as the therapist that I am, right, I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, wait, sis, come on here. Where's the therapy part of this, right? Like, you know, because now you've become this object for them. So it's like a transferential object that they transfer all of this to. And now you become the identified good source of touch. So how do they go from you to being able to emotionally connect with somebody who doesn't feel as safe to be able to get their needs met? from somebody else. So a lot of the times I feel that just the the awareness of the fact that they are craving touch and love and the feeling of safety, something in their head clicks and they may be seeking out different types of relationships. They may be not be chasing sex as much as they are looking for a connection. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of talk about the ways in which we touch our own body that can improve our overall health and decrease those symptoms from the touch starvation. So it's just like a lot of talk and finding ways where they can just get more touch in their lives. How do the couples, let's say, the wives, the girlfriends, the partners of the people that are coming to see you, how do they react? If someone's been, you know, laid dormant, for a lack of a better way, 
to say it prior to seeing you. And now this gentleman comes back to the house to whomever their partner is and says, oh my God, you're not going to believe what happens. Is the partner now like, oh great, babe, I'm so excited. Or do they then feel threatened that then maybe they have not been able to connect in a way that is what forced their partner to find it elsewhere to begin with? And then what does that scenario look like? That scenario doesn't look like anything because I doubt there's one married man that has gone home and told his wife that he went for a massage for touch starvation. Okay, so, but then like, so again, again, this is a good part of the conversation because now we're really getting in here to say this is not real therapy. We want to protect Dr. Boca's license. But that then would beg the question that we're starting this conversation talking about intimacy and opening up and being able to share your innermost whatevers with whomever your partner is. And if you had to go out and seek it elsewhere, and then it's working elsewhere, what is the point of then not sharing that with the person that you were disconnected to, even if you didn't want to be, which is why they landed in your office in the first place. So let's break that down women, ladies, let's talk about that piece. So I talk to my clients about the blockages to intimacy. And when they feel their nervous system relaxed for the first time in a very long time, usually, the conversation is also, if your body is allowing for arousal in this state, then the same thing goes for your wife. Mm -hmm. And if you enjoyed being touched in this very slow and very loving and nurturing way, then that is a type of touch that you need to provide for your wife when you get home because her nervous system also has to be relaxed. She has to get into her feminine. She needs to feel safe. She needs to feel cared for. So I do a lot of advice giving when it comes to overcoming those obstacles in their intimate relationships with their wives. And I feel like for some of them, it stopped them from cheating because they were going out seeking the wrong things. And they realized, hey, I was actually looking for connection and safety, not sex. Mm. Yes, I hear it as like two sides of the same coin as what I do, right? One's verbal. Right. And it's the idea of trying to help people figure out how to connect because of their attachment issues and the the things that have gone on and the messages that they receive. And I love this because some people respond verbally and some people, there's different ways of treating the same issue verbally and kinesthetically. And you're doing it kinesthetically as well as energetically. And for a lot of people, that feels much safer because it's less shameful. It's like sitting on my couch, not looking at the therapist feels safer or through a screen feels safer, right? For a lot of people who are very guarded, which are those people who are having touch starvation because they're putting walls up, they're disconnecting, they're disengaging. So I totally appreciate just another way of handling all of this. And what I would say is you said I give them advice. And what I would say is I hear you educating them. And I think Mm -hmm. that's very different. And for our listeners, the differentiation here is that we in society assume that people know these things. Mm-hmm. And they don't because nobody has informed them and educated them. And so when we give advice, it's kind of like, oh, you're telling me what to do. And oh, you know better than I am. But when we educate somebody, we're giving them like, what's the saying that you, you know, give them a, a fishing pole and they're going to go learn how to fish or whatever. I kill every yeah. freaking thing I say. But that's what we're doing. We're helping them understand. I say this all the time. I have the smartest, brightest clients. And they are so successful and have raised great kids. And and yet, 
It's the littlest, tiniest things that they are clueless about, right? And we have to educate them on those things. And it's amazing what a little education does when they can get outside of themselves and put themselves into the world of somebody else. I would argue that the more successful a man may be outside of the home in whatever their said profession is, the more starving they are for this real said touch relative to the um, that emotional intimacy. Kat, would you agree with that based on your clientele? Yes, I would completely agree with that. I mean, that's mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Well, because they've used their career and their mm-hmm. success as a form of getting affirmation and feeling yeah. confident and feeling seen and heard and all of the yeah. things that Kat's talking about. And it's a way to distract from the emptiness that they've mm. been feeling in, you know, in that I would say, and this is the only thing that from my therapy hat is I would love to be able to get these men to mm-hmm. communicate the experience for them, because I think it's so important, not from a judgment perspective, not from a shame perspective, but because communication at a level that is emotionally vulnerable is what creates intimacy, Mm -hmm. right? And real emotional intimacy, not just the sex, so that it would be reinforcing for them to be able to get that which they're looking for. Yeah, I think men have a really hard time expressing emotions. And I think they have a really hard time naming their emotions. Like when they feel shame or when they feel guilt or loneliness, a lot of their emotions just in the end show up as anger. Yeah. And they feel frustrated and they don't know what those feelings are actually called or why they're called why they have them. You know what's so weird though to me? And I don't want to make it so specific, but I typically on the podcast, we use me as a guinea pig a lot. So from my own experience, it's interesting because you hear all the time, like women, like we, we want to talk and we want to communicate and we want to share. And, and then we, we know like stereotypically men, like they shut down, let's say, right. Mm-hmm. Where maybe women break down and a man would shut down. But the irony here that doesn't jive is that if these men really are longing for that emotional intimacy, why do either A, they get a bad rap that society says they don't want to talk about it, or why do women feel that they don't want to talk about it? Because if we're in a situation where we are maybe over-communicating, it immediately feels as though the men don't want to match your emotional, I guess you said before about your love language, like what if your love language is the verbal communicativeness, which then would lead to greater intimacy in however one then defines intimacy if the, you know, end game here would be physical intimacy, which I know it's not always physical, but uh, do you understand what, like, it it just seems as though it doesn't align. It doesn't. And that's actually communication is like one of the biggest reasons that couples don't end up being together. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with the nervous system and with the emotional safety. And the less he's able to communicate his his feelings and the more upset his partner is getting, that is not putting him in a relaxed state. It is not allowing him to feel safe, to tap into his heart and to into his emotions and be able to express that. I mean, sometimes it can be difficult for us as women to be able to tap into our emotions versus our thoughts. 
And it's so much more difficult for men. And when there's pressure and when there's consequences, I find a lot of women withdraw love and affection when things are going wrong in their relationship. And they don't understand that they're actually putting up a huge wall between them and their partner because sometimes the men need to experience that physical connection to be able to feel safe and then share some of their feelings and their thoughts. I think what you just said was so brilliant, right? And something that our listeners, and I'm not even going to do justice to it, but I can give you example after example after example from my friends or, you know, that call me and they're like, I got to tell you this, right? And I sometimes say, like, leave them alone. Don't keep rehashing or speaking to them and pushing them and talking about it, right? Because every time we're doing that, they're hearing that as unsafe and shameful and castrating and there's a flaw in them. And what happens to them is it it ignites that nervous system. They're walking around feeling inadequate. And when a guy feels inadequate, they don't want to connect. Okay, but hold on. I am making it a little personal here because now I'm taking the stance of like the women. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know me, I'm a guy's girl, tried and true, right? Mm -hmm. But if there's incessant nagging, right? Or Mm -hmm. you're saying just leave them alone, right? Like maybe you can't leave them alone because whatever you were trying to convey, it's literally like talking to a cement wall. And you know how fucking annoying that can be? Like, what is wrong with you? Okay. I also, again, I, you know, I'm not married, but I do come from the school of like, feed them and fuck them. They don't really require that much more. Easy characters. Okay. Right. But now we're trying, but now basically we have to remove that from the equation because now we're hearing, no, men are, are much deeper deeper than meets the eye. But if they don't open their fucking mouths and tell us what they need, then we're going back to that old school of just shut up. Here's your food. All right, fine. It's, you know, two days after we fucked, I'll blow you today so that we're all on the same page. And you know, I'm joking a little bit, but come on, men out there, like, don't just go see Kat in private. Talk to your partner. Share with us what it is you need so that we can give it to you. We're not mind readers. And that, how many times have I said that? And that was my point. It was, they need to be educated on this because communication, that was the piece that I was like, God, I would love to see them be able to come home and talk about what it is that they need. However, if their experience is always, and and again, from a woman's perspective also, if your experience is always, I'm asking for something, I'm asking for something, I'm asking for something, and he's rejecting me, rejecting me, rejecting me, what are you going to do? Exactly what Kat said. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to withhold sex, right? What is he doing? Okay. You're nagging him and nagging him and nagging him, and he's feeling inadequate. So he's pulling away. And guess what? You're not having sex and everybody's starved, right? You're doing this freaking dance that everybody Mm -hmm, does. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. when we can see it and when we can talk about it and when we're educated about it, we learn that sometimes there are different people. Each partner goes through certain things at different times and we have to allow them to go through it. And as much as we're dying to have them fix it or do whatever it is that we asked, or as much as they're dying to be touched, The other partner, you're right, doesn't know, but we can't keep berating the same thing over and over and expect either male or female to feel safe to communicate. And that's why it all comes back in my mind to understanding attachment and understanding communication and being able to have those conversations and teaching them how to do it in a way 
where they can get outside of themselves and get emotionally vulnerable. And we get rid of the content and we talk about the process of what's happening. Because once these guys and these women understand what it is that they need and what it is that they're taking away from the other partner and they see the dance that they're doing, it's like an aha moment or it's the this isn't going to work moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kat, maybe you disagree. I don't know, but. No, I agree with you, Dr. Boca. And in your opinion, do you think that most couples sit down in a peaceful environment when they no. are both relaxed, no. they're not angry, showing up with love and compassion, no. and, and then they have a conversation about their relationship? No, no. Right? it's usually when you are angry, when you're frustrated, when you've had it. You're not making the other person feel heard. You're not making them feel seen. And you're just telling them what they're not doing right. right. And I feel that creating an environment in a relationship where you both show up in a peaceful state with a relaxed nervous system, you show up with love and compassion. And the goal is to talk about your needs and for both of you to feel seen and both of you to feel heard. I think if you say, I really miss touching you or I miss being held by you or I crave your touch sounds a lot different than you never touch me. Absolutely. I'm so frustrated. So it's it's often the way we say things that make the other person put up their guard and then that's withdraw. That's my point. That's exactly right? my point. To me, that's the piece that I would love to tack on. I know you, you know, you say you give them advice and I say educate, but I yes. so think that that's the important part because otherwise you become the surrogate, right? Yes. And they can't generalize it into that relationship or into that future relationship. And I do think, look, in every relationship with, a, you know, with a transferential experience, it's corrective and it, and it, we work through it and it gives us the confidence and the understanding and the insight. And hopefully they, we go out and we generalize it. But again, these individuals have not ever learned this. And sometimes we do have to go back to the basics. And I do have a question about that. Like, how long does this go on for? Some clients came for six weeks, once a week, and I haven't okay. seen them since. Okay. And they were actually confident enough to go seek out a relationship. Amazing. Where versus they were afraid to date, they had PTSD from intimacy. Some clients come every two months as a maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, and in between, um, I'm able to coach them through some of the ways that they can increase just their own well-being through touching themselves um, in the shower or with lotion. That didn't come out right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We understood. Yeah. We get it. Um, like to so yeah. jerk off. <laughs> no. no, no, they're just compassionately the little ways in which we touch ourselves daily, like in the shower or applying lotion. Oh, see where my head went? I thought system. you meant like to well, jerk off. Exactly. That's why I said it didn't sound right, but then that's not what I meant. But it's just the way we touch ourselves on a daily basis without paying attention yeah. to the quality of touch that we're giving our skin. And that's so interesting because I was just going to say, we take a shower. We don't even think about it. We like have six minutes. We have to get in, scrub, get out. Scrub, and, scrub. Right. And how often I stop my clients when they say things that are so demeaning to themselves that they're not even aware how much how critical they are of themselves over and over and over again and how hard they are on themselves it's the same thing it's a habitual way of not being in the moment and being mindful of what it is that we're doing and that is so important i would assume in touch starvation overcoming that as well as building intimacy in relationships is being mindful and deliberate and present and in this day and age i really fault 
society and the expectations and the pace at which we live and the distractions and the things that we use, the substances and the social media and the gambling and the video games and all of this stuff to detach from the world. And so I do think it's just this big web that we are, you try, I try in our careers to weed through the 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 web, the tangled web. And, you know, I always say, like, please, if anybody's listening to that I've worked with, I'm just saying this totally in jest, but I always say I'm curing the world one neurotic at a time, right? Like, that's what we're doing. One person at a time, we're getting them to where they are and you're doing the same thing. But I wish we could do it at a greater level. I wish we could really impact from top down, you know, the messaging and the way that men and women are both conditioned. You know, we teach all of this math and language and history. And I see these kids taking these AP classes and, uh, you know, the quadratic formula that I could regurgitate right now. Don't know what you use it for, but I can regurgitate. But we don't teach these basic skills of communication, of relationships, of empathy, of any of those things. And we send these people on their way and then they have children and who have children who have children. And we perpetuate these expectations in society that are just destroying relationships at this point. Well, this is why I think it's so wonderful that you have me on your podcast, because now there's a lot of people I can listen to this type of information and think about how it relates in their life. Exactly. Absolutely. We have to get all of our listeners out there to share the wealth with those in their world so that they know that there's some help. And what I'd like to do also before we wrap up, I don't want to just dog on the guys out there, right? I know we've got a lot of our closeted male listeners, and I hope that this has been helpful. I think it will be helpful. But I want to touch a little bit on the women, too, that you see, because... Again, as women get older, you, uh, Dr. Booker, you're sitting there talking about all the societal noise that we hear that has just beaten us down. The older we get, what women are faced with, what we are challenged with from a physical standpoint when we were young and beautiful and tight and taut and our tits were in our mouths and our asses were off our back and we're not that anymore, right? So what that does to our psyche as we get older, perimenopause, menopause, that is not a fallacy. That's a real legitimate thing that we do go through. And what that does to a woman when their sexual prowess or lack thereof starts to fall apart. So if we could for a couple minutes talk about what you do, Kat, with women that may be different than with your male clients or not, but what kind of success are you seeing in that arena? Most of the work that I do with women is around self-love. Okay. And that's especially mothers. We have a tendency to make ourselves last on the list and feel that the more we sacrifice and the more we give to everyone else, the better of a wife and mother we are. And we are constantly depleted and just giving everything away to everyone else. And we feel really guilty for loving ourselves and taking time out for ourselves to nourish our body, our heart, our soul. And that's most of the work that I do with women. So I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to like drop the atomic bomb in, in the center of the space. So, you know, we talk about erectile dysfunction with men. We talk about emotional intimacy with men. I can give you a whole list of women that I know that struggle with emotional intimacy, and it looks very, very different than it does with the men. But the biggest complaint that I hear from women is, I'm not satisfied 
in the bedroom, let alone all the other areas that may be true, maybe not true. They have a good relationship. They don't have a good relationship, but they are not having orgasms during sex. I don't know if that's something that you hear. I don't know if that's just in suburbia, Boca Raton. I highly doubt that. Okay. And going on what Rachel was saying, as you hit perimenopause and menopause, the difficulties of being able, but historically, a lot of women have not been able to orgasm, at least during sexual intercourse. So is this not a touch starvation, but is this like a blockage? You know, right. Is this like an trauma. energy blockage? Is this trauma? Is this, you know, is this mind? You know, we talk about the women going into their head. Is this about not feeling deserving and self-love? Is this about the men are just not satisfying? Like, what say you on this? I don't even know if you have an opinion on it, but if you do, please enlighten us. I do have an opinion about it. I think the research says that over 80% of women are not able to orgasm from penetration. That's um, and that's very Right? How oh. does God make us this way? And then he said, no. <laughs> wow, 80%. No, or, yeah, I think that's some places say 10 um only 10 to 40% of women can, but they kind of averaged it out and they said 80% of women are not able. And to just talk about myself for a minute and share something with you ladies is that I was one of those women for 45 years. So about, I lost my virginity when I was 16. So it's about 29 years because I'm 45 that I have accepted that this is a type of pleasure that I will probably never experience in my lifetime. Because it seems rather hopeless when you look at the research and it just says you can't. And that's just how things are. And very recently, I learned that I was wrong and that it is possible and that I am not broken. And I have been able to go back and look at all the things that I have worked with when it comes to clearing energy, clearing energetic blockages, energetic cords, and learning how to relax my nervous system. And I think that, as we said before, a lot of us experience intimacy when we are in flight or fight because that's our baseline for a lot of us. So to experience intimacy when your nervous system is relaxed, it's a whole different thing. So I have, I think I've figured out different steps that can help women achieve greater pleasure. And body image is one of them. The messages that we say to ourselves, our nervous system, understanding the masculine and the feminine energies as well. And when you are in each one, I think that's really helpful. And time, mm. having time, having a partner that is patient, that is compassionate, that is conscious. And like you said, Dr. Boca, someone who is present mm -hmm. and mindful, someone that's not just trying to get to the goal line. And, so and I think somebody all those issues... And I would say that somebody who enjoys the process and doesn't make it about them, right? When yeah. you're making it about somebody else and you want them to really have enjoyment, it's a totally different experience than somebody who's like, I got to do this for me, 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 me. And, and I do think that a lot of everything that you're saying plays into it. And I am so happy for you. That is amazing. If we were in person, we would say, everyone get out. Let's give you a standing O. <laughs> uh, and I was going to say, let's give you a hug and cuddle, but, right? Yeah, but, that. And, but here's the thing that, that was kind of going through my mind as, as you said that. Because, I mean, I've had countless conversations with friends of mine, men and women, over the years about what satisfies you more than not. Or the differences over the course of our adulthood where... 
this used to be pleasurable and now it's not. And now something else is pleasurable. And and even just being open to exploring something new to quote unquote, you know, get you off if it may not have in the past. But I do think as women though, we are changing so much. And I do go back to the whole perimenopause and the menopause of our hormones that that's factual. And I'll use myself as the guinea pig. What used to work for me does not work anymore. And yep. the creativity level, I mean, I exhaust the prize for creativity. I'm getting that prize, right? Like, is there, you know, an Emmy for that or an Oscar <laughs> award or whatever? I'm so tired of the creativity factor that that plays into it too. Sometimes it's like, you know, I'm just fucking tired. I don't want to be creative anymore. I'd rather, right? roll over and go to sleep than have to sit and play mind games with myself. And by self, I mean, again, we're on polish here, but like me, myself, and I these days, you know, Dr. Wilco, I might've told this, this story a zillion podcasts ago, but like back in the day, millions of decades ago, just driving to work at six o'clock in the morning, listening to Howard Stern back in the day, that was all I needed for the day. I needed to change my underpants by the oh, time yeah. I got to work, right? The wind okay. blows, right? I mean, like, literally, okay? Now <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I got to get out the the drawers and I got it. It's like, you know what? Fuck it. Forget it. I'm good. And you're exhausted. To be. And I, you're exhausted and, and, to be young with. But guess what? And then I'm bummed about that because anyone who knows me, who really knows me, you know, I joke around all the time. Like I don't have a partner right now, but like, guess what? I could do it myself. I'm good. Right. But, but if I'm you? not even doing it myself, <laughs> right? how sad is that? And that is not what I want my end game to be. And I want to share that message with the other women out there because we shouldn't cop out on ourselves. No, we shouldn't. There is no reason that we should ever not be pleasuring ourselves and loving ourselves. I look at that as a, an act of self-love. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to mention to you is sometimes when we take the goal of the orgasm off the table, mm -hmm. that's when the real miracles happen. Sometimes when our focus is on each inch of skin and pleasure and touching to give pleasure, we get out of our head and into our, our body because I feel like when we have that goal and we're like, is it going to happen? Is it not? Whether that's when you're alone or with a partner, I think that's out. sometimes the mind fuck, right? Is that right. we are our worst enemy. And if you just take that off the table and you relax and you sink into it, you take off the pressure. And I think that's when a lot of breakthroughs happen. Well, I'm happy you said that because you don't know me well, but Dr. Bocas certainly does. And if there's nothing about me that isn't goal-oriented, I don't know what is. So I hear you say that. And to me, if that touchdown is not happening, that is a bummer. Then you're, it's like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like, but, that's nerve-wracking. Right. But Rach, it's like sometimes the destination is not where we're trying to get to. It's the journey and enjoying it and experiencing it. And I and and to go to what Kat was saying is like, when was the last time you were slow enough with your body and touched yourself in a way that you were mindful about each and every stroke or insertion or vibration or whatever, that you were just mindful of that experience being different and satisfying than what you were doing 10 minutes ago when you were probably chasing your dog and trying to get your dog to shit, right? Like this oh, is still... Talk about a cock block. Right? <laughs> this stupid fucking dog. I know, you and your dog. No right? one is having an orgasm if I have to think about that damn dog. Right. And so <laughs> how much better just 
touch, that touch feels and having to deal with Hazel, right? Or your kid, and I love your kids, but like, and your kid or your job or whatever. And you want to get to that finish line. And we talk about this all the time, Kat, is that Rachel is all or none. Like, and she just acknowledged Mm -hmm. it right there. Like she will just not start the task if it's not going to end in the result. And we've been trying over the course of our unpolished therapy days to try to get her to deviate from the extremes and try to see it as it could be a process and not just a destination or a journey and not a destination. We can still enjoy all of those parts and we haven't done it relative to orgasms, but I'm going to translate that to orgasms now, Rach. And maybe you should try it. And Rachel would be one of those people who is in her head just a little bit. And maybe we can get you out of it by focusing on the sensations and really being mindful of them. I don't know. But Kat said the same thing. And if you're in your head, then you're not really in your feminine energy, right? And Do you want to explain to the listeners, though, like, what is the difference between feminine energy and masculine energy? Like, I always say, like, I'm such an alpha female, but how does that connect with male-female energy? So female energy is about compassion, intuition, and it only comes out and you're able to tap into it when you are safe. Mm -hmm when your nervous system is at rest, it is compassion, nurturing, loving, kindness, generosity. It's all these soft and loving sort of characteristics. Whereas the masculine energy is more thinking and doing and being in your head, being a leader, accomplishing goals. And as women who have our own businesses, this is where we are a majority of the time. But to really be able to tap into that feminine energy and calm down our nervous system and to touch ourselves without the goal, the end goal, as Dr. Boca has mentioned, you're able to experience pleasure in a different way when you get out of your head and you get into your body. It feels different. So I could talk about this forever, right? All of this. I am so fascinated by this. I have one more question because I know we're going a little bit long. Can you tell our listeners, other than touch, right? And gentle touch. What are a couple of ways, because you keep saying like you need to feel safe and you need to regulate your nervous system. What are some simple ways that people can regulate that nervous system and get into that state of their feminine energy where they feel safe and secure and not dysregulated? The vagal nerve is all good and, you know, and we're all just calm and, and zen, as we like to say. So there's several different ways to tap into that relaxed body state and also the feminine energy. And that includes cold exposure, cold showers, meditation, listening to high frequency music, breathing. Any type of relaxing breathing will put your nervous system into a relaxed state. Having a shower, even like putting on like soft and fuzzy clothes because it rubs against your skin and it feels soft and makes us feel safe and it makes us feel secure. Everyone has to find their own things that make them feel that way, but there's a large number of ways to get that accomplished. And is there like a nervous system machine that we can buy and then gauge? Because like, I'm such a literal person. I would be, hold on, like, let me check the nervous system machine to see, (laughs) to see where my nervous system is at right now. Like, that's the piece that I just can't, like, I thought you were gonna be like, yeah, you know, like Sauvignon Blanc will help or some scotch (laughs) might help, which Again, some may argue the older we get, maybe it doesn't. It actually works in the reverse direction. I don't know. 
I think the older we get, the harder flight and fight is to tolerate. And the more we seek out peace and calm environments, because our system's now overloaded. We've been in this for 20, 30, 40 years, and we're like, enough. And I think the greatest thing you can do for your body is do yoga or meditation, um, somatic movement, and something where you are wide awake, but you calm down your nervous system to a point where you realize what it feels like to be at rest. And that is- and then once you know what this feels like, this becomes the new goal. So when you feel dysregulated, when you feel like your heart rate's going up, when you feel like your thoughts are getting out of control, you're able to say, wow, I need to go back to base. But I think the, the first thing you need to do, body. yeah, is to calm your nervous system down and really tap into this feeling and know what it feels like in your body to be at rest. And that is so much easier said than done, which is why people come to you and why people yeah. come to me. Another homework assignment. <laughs> right? So, okay. My absolute last question is, obviously, we can't do you doing the massage from Canada to yes. our listeners. However, do you do the Reiki or can you do energy healing online? And how do people find you? And if they have more questions, can they reach out to you? Yes. So I have a website. It is imlovehealingcenter.ca, and I have several virtual sessions available. One is for touch starvation healing, which includes going over some of the symptoms and education about what are their ways to bring more touch into their life, and also virtual Reiki sessions. And I also have sessions for couples around intimacy and touch, and I have sessions for women about increasing their pleasure and their abilities to have a more pleasurable life. And for men on erections, one-on-one, just teaching them about erectile health and how their nervous system is contributing to their problem. And I think what would be so fabulous is if the men take the erectile one-on-one and then the women take it. And then the women yes. take the self-love <laughs> and then the men take it. And then they yes. can have dialogue about it because they understand because they were educated about it they can now have communication. So anyway, that I just had to get that last piece in because that to me was like, wow, how amazing would that In be? an ideal world, that would be amazing. Utopia is what we go for. We try. Yeah. Well, I'm polished to utopia, right? There's a broad band there from one end of the spectrum to the other. Exactly. Um, well, Kat, it was not only educational, but it was hopeful. And I hope that our listeners found some hope in it, that they don't have to suffer through this alone that what they are experiencing is real and that we can get through it. And people like Kat are available to consult with and to get support from. And we are so, so appreciative that you joined us here at Unpolished Therapy and shared this all with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I encourage the listeners to think about this person that may, they may have in their life that is not in a relationship or living alone and maybe reach out to them and give them a hug occasionally. Absolutely. And, and show them some a, love. A hug goes a long way. I'll end it on this really note. Does. And I'm not making this up. It's a story that I, for some reason, and maybe the reason is just what we're talking about now, I never forgot, which was a older woman who had lost her husband many, many, many years ago. I was told that she was so deprived of touch that every so often she would go for a pedicure 
just so that someone would touch her feet. And when I heard it, you know, I I know I come off like cold and crass and not very empathetic, but I was so moved, like literally to tears because it just absolutely broke my heart. So with that being said, you're right. A hug does go a long way and Mm -hmm. you never know what someone is suffering with. I clearly people are suffering in silence and what you see on the outside is not what's going on on the inside. So it is important to our listeners out there, men, especially, but women, you're not devoid from this. Reach out to someone like Kat, Kat specifically, but if it's not local and you really do want to be touched, Kat, maybe you could even help facilitate some of the local people, find someone locally that is a colleague of yours, and let's share the wealth of information that we've learned today. Let's make the world a better place, (laughs) right? One orgasm at a time or (laughs) or one healthier nervous system at a time. (laughs) That's right. And I challenge you to get out of your head and into your body. Yeah, listen, I'm in my body a lot, trust me, but I'm in my head a lot more. And I think that the marriage of the two in a healthy way would benefit all of us. So I thank you too for your wisdom and your time, of course. Dr. Boca, thank you for bringing Kat on. To our listeners out there, we will link in our episode notes Kat's information, be it on social media, but also her full website so you can reach out to her directly. You know, how to find Dr. Boca and I. We are unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. We are also at unpolishedtherapy on Instagram and Facebook. Our Twitter account is definitely deprived of touch. It's starving (laughs) big time. It is. (laughs) Right. But again, jokes aside too, which again, that's probably another thing that people do. Maybe they use humor to assuage intimacy because it's just easier to kind of joke and laugh it off than to really get to the meat and potatoes of of what's going on in our nervous system. So I'm going to work on that. Kat, thank you. I We'll be in touch. And I know Dr. Boca will be in touch too. And if we can all help each other, then certainly we're down for that. A friend of the show now, a friend of the show always. We hope you'll come back and join us again on another episode. I would love to. All right. So then we'll meet you, you know where, on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. Kat, thank you for your time. Dr. Boca, thank you for your time. And to the listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week on another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs>